You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. Well, hey, we can continue our series in Daniel and this idea of weird. And what does it mean when we usually when we think of weird, we have kind of an image that comes up in our mind of what weird is. And uh, and hopefully when you look in the mirror, you're like, I don't want to see that image back. Right. Is that what you're kind of what we normally have? And so but what I want us to think about is that the scripture calls us to be weird. And what that means is, is that we're able to stand for Jesus in a culture that can't stand Jesus. That we can stand for Jesus in a culture that can't stand Jesus. And so that if you proclaim yourself as a Christ follower, you are automatically considered weird. Paul says it, be fools for Christ. And there's this idea of that we do things that look and say things and pursue Jesus in a way that others may see us in pursuit of him. And it looks foolish to their eyes, but in reality, it's the wisest and most discretion thing that we can do to pursue Jesus. And what I hope that you heard from the song that we just sang is that God's a way maker, that he is Adonai, that he's Lord, that he's in control, even when we can't see it and even when we can't feel it. There may not be evidence to us in that moment, but as we saw last week, we'll continue to see this week that God is sovereign that he's creator and he's sustainer and that he is working for his children. It's the promise that you hold in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven that he has a purpose and a plan for you. And that even though that Israel, even though the people of Judah had been taken captive into Babylon, that God was working on their behalf. And more importantly, he was working on his behalf and that maybe even more importantly, he was working on our behalf and setting the stage for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be laid bare before everyone will see this morning. Now, listen, we have a great team of people. And so I was able to uh, take a few months, a few weeks to kind of get away and refresh. And uh, these guys and gals are I, we, we have a good time together. And so I said, hey, I need a picture of an Impala for the Sunday. And this is what they sent me. Now, an Impala, for those of you that are younger, an Impala is a classic car, and obviously these have been classicked up, <laughs> have been made fancy, and I was like, <laughs> not the Impala I was talking about, but thank you to the graphics team and all of you people that thought it was funny. But um, I'm actually talking about an Impala, like an actual Impala. You, you see that, that, that's the Impala that I'm talking about, an antelope, and, and you're like, what does an antelope have to do with being weird? Well, this is it. An antelope, this impala, has a special unique gift to survive. And that is this. is It can jump over 10 feet high, which is pretty high. means an impala can dunk a basketball, okay? And an impala can jump in length over 40 feet. So that thing can move. It can win the Olympics in long distance jumping and triple jumping and long jumping. It could win. But all of us have seen impalas in enclosed settings. And so the interesting thing about an impala is it has this great gift to survive, that it can jump 10 feet, it can jump over 40 feet in distance to get away from its enemies. But if you put up a three-foot-high fence, it will not jump. Because it can't see on the other side of the fence. It will not jump to what it cannot see. 
And this morning, that's what I want us to kind of have in our mind, is that there are moments in life that have brought before us that there's a three-foot-high fence that we can't see on the other side. And so, for whatever reason, we get stuck in fear and don't jump when we have all of the skills and we have already been gifted what we need to do it, but we just don't because we can't see what's on the other side. And that the situations of life may seem impossible like a three-foot fence. And so we don't take the leap. And in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 2, we have a situation like that, that everyone that's the pro says it's impossible. But we know that from Daniel chapter 1 that Daniel's been given a special gift, a special ability out of his obedience in Daniel chapter 1. He's able to do something that's not of his own skills and his own talents, but it is going to allow him to survive. When everyone else sees a three-foot fence, Daniel sees an opportunity to jump the fence. And so if you have your Bibles, join with me in Daniel chapter 2. Now what's been happening here in Daniel chapter 2 is King Nebuchadnezzar, who's the ruler over Babylon, he's the greatest king of the time, even before and whatever, and so he's this very powerful man, and he has a dream in his sleep in Daniel chapter 2 in the beginning. And so this dream in, in those days, and even a lot of places still in the Middle East and other places around the world, dreams have meaning, that they're interpreted. And so there were actually Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. One of the things that they were trained is that they had one of their textbooks was dream interpretation. Like, if you saw this, if you saw an Apollo, that was this. If you saw this, it was this. And so they had trained themselves to understand and be able to interpret dreams. And so King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and it was such an overwhelming dream for him that he needed an interpretation. And what he wanted is, he want, he, so he called his diviners, he called his astrologers, he called his enchanters, all the different people that were pros at determining the interpretations of dream. He called them all before him and said, I need you to interpret my dream. And they were like, okay. Tell us your dream. We got our books. He said, no, 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 no. In this dream, I was told that you need to tell me the dream before you can interpret it. And so that's where we're at. In Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 10. The astrologers, all the pro people, replied to the king. And if you have your Bibles, you write in them or whatever, you make notes in your U version or whatever, underline this because this is important. No one on earth. Who is that? Everybody but God. No one on earth can tell the king his dream. And no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. In other words, The people that don't follow Yahweh are setting up the tension of the story for Yahweh. So that the sovereign one can show that everyone that's a pro knows that they can't do this on their own. No one on earth, no human wisdom, no nothing will allow them to do what he's about to ask them to do. Or what he's asked them to do. The king's demand is what? Impossible. Three foot high fence. No one except the gods can tell you your dream, and they do not live here among the people. These people don't even know Yahweh and their spouting theology. They're saying there is no other God. There is no one that can tell you to do what you're asking us to do. The sovereign God is setting up the story. 
So the king was furious when he heard this. So, you know, listen, the king likes to be king. And so here he is. He's got a, a dream that's overwhelming him. And his greatest fear is he doesn't want to not be king. And so the king was furious when he heard this and no one could answer it. It was an impossible deal. And so he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. That's some tension in the story. All right. And because of the king's decree, men were sent to find Daniel and his friends and, and, and take care of him. So here's Daniel, which we learned last week, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his friends. Daniel's other name is Belteshazzar, and so, but Daniel's a lot easier. And so Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are hanging out. They've been raised up in the king's court, but for whatever reason, this day they weren't called in. They were out doing some other things, and so we'll find out here in just a little bit. What they were doing. And when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill him, Daniel handled the situation with what? Wisdom and discretion. So imagine with me that you're Daniel, you're with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, comes to you and says, Hey, you're at Las Fuentes, by the way, and you're enjoying some fajitas or tacos or whatever, and you're enjoying a great meal, and all of a sudden Arioch shows up and says, Hey, enjoy this last meal. And Daniel's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Las Fuentes is good, but I wasn't going to be my last meal. Or I don't even know if Las Fuentes is good. We'll say it's, it's there. <laughs> Kidding. No, sort of. So Daniel is there eating food, and he's all of a sudden, it's his last meal. And so with wisdom and discretion, to remind you, he's less than 21 years of age. And so they're saying, here's someone that's less than 21, and he is doing life with wisdom and discretion. And that's usually not words that we attach to someone that's young and youthful. But it can be true. And so here's Daniel, a young man, all of a sudden thinking he's having a good time with his friends. They're enjoying the fellowship together. And all of a sudden that's interrupted because there's an executioner saying, this is your last meal. And I think most of us would be like, squirrel, and then take off. But what's Daniel do? He asked Ariok, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? So Ariok told him what had happened. Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. Now listen, this is just kind of like a little footnote, but Daniel went... From a situation where it was his last meal and said, hey, can I sign up to put myself before the king? And, and you don't just get to go before the king. To go before the king means you could be executed as well. If he hadn't invited you, if you didn't have a personal invitation from the king and you walk into his court, most of the time that meant that your head was lopped off because he didn't have time for you because he was the king. And so Daniel says, hey, listen, I'm going to put my fajitas down. I'll be back in a little bit. And he goes to the king's court and he begins to petition him. And he says, hey, I need to have a discussion with you. I think that we have the solution to your answer, but I need some time. Because as you already know, king, you've been told it's impossible. But Daniel knows that his God does the impossible. And so he goes into a situation that others sees him. That others would back away from, he steps into. Then Daniel went home and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, what happened. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if you catch nothing else, here's what I want you to get this morning. Is that when Daniel's life was in an impossible situation, when his back was against the wall, 
he went to the guys that he knew had his back. Whenever it seemed like everything else, there was no tomorrow, he went and he told his friends that had his back, that had been with him before, had struggled with him before, and he goes to them and says to them, listen, we're in an impossible situation. And with his friends, he gathers them together and says, listen, we're in an impossible situation and the only solution to our problem is the God of heaven. So with your buddies, let's gather together and pray and see what God is going to do. So he gathered his friends together who had his back and he asked God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret. So they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon, which is a legitimate prayer. But he gathered his buddies that knew were with him and they petitioned the God of heaven to give them the answer to an impossible situation. Who do you gather with? When you're in a life's possible, impossible situations, who do you run to? This is, what, this is what I want you to understand. Like, if you hear nothing else, if you have no one that you gather together in life's impossible situations to pray with you because there is no other solution, that is what you need to hear that this, this thing about Christianity is about. Is that's the good news, part of the good news, part of the mystery is the God of heaven's answers on our behalf so that we can jump over three foot fences. And one of the pieces of that is people standing together to say, God, we are not God. You are. Give us the answers and the encouragement to do the impossible. And here's the next interesting thing. That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision while he was sleeping. Most of us, we toss and turn. You have an app on your phone that tells you how much you snored, how it's sleep apnea, all those different things. Daniel rested. Why? Because he knew that he wasn't God and God was going to answer. Now, he may not like the answer, but that God was going to answer. And so Daniel rested. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven because it was revealed. Here's a song that he sang. He said, praise the name of God forever and ever. For he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of the world's events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and know what lies ahead, what lies in hidden, hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. I thank and praise you. God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what we ask of you, and you revealed to us what the king demanded. Then Daniel went to see Ariok, whom the king had ordered to execute the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel said to him, don't kill the wise men. Which is kind of merciful on Daniel's behalf, right? He could have said, hey, take care of those wise men, I've got the answer. But he said, no, don't. Don't kill the wise men. Take me to the king and I will tell him the meaning of his dream. Ariok quickly went to Daniel, took Daniel to the king and he said, what? This is an interesting thing. This is Ariok wanting to receive praise. What's he say? I have found the captives. He didn't find him. Daniel showed up to him. But that's human nature, isn't it? I have found the captives from Judah who will tell the king the meaning of the dream because he wants credit. And the king said to Daniel, also known as Belshazzar, is this true? Can you tell me what my dream is and what it means? And Daniel replied, 
There are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. It's impossible. He, he knew this. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. While your majesty was sleeping, you dreamed about coming events. He who reveals secrets has shown you what is going to happen. And it is not because I am wiser than anyone else that I know the secret to your dream, but because God, Yahweh, Adonai, wants you to understand what is in your heart. Again, he's king. And a king wants to remain king. So in his heart, one of the things that he feared is, is this a fortune telling? Is this something that's going to tell me that my time as king is coming to an end? And if so, if I know that, then if I can change the results, if I can have a kind of a time machine and go ahead and know when I lose my kingship, then can I go fix it and solve it? It's kind of what he's thinking. So in his heart, he's about to see what's coming about. And in your vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its belly and thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron. And its feet were a combination of iron and bay clay. A rock was cut from a mountain, but not with human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron and clay and bronze and silver and gold. And then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff. On a threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. That was the dream. Now we will tell you with the dream, the king, what it means. Your majesty, you are the greatest king of kings. At that time, that was the whole known world to them. He was the greatest king of the time. He had gathered all the kingdoms and they were under his deal. So you are the greatest of kings. The kingdom of heaven has what has given you. It's not yours that you've taken, but the kingdom of heaven, the sovereign God, Adonai, has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He has made you ruler over the inhabited world and has put even the wild animals and birds under your control. You are the head of gold. But after your kingdom comes to an end, then comes another kingdom inferior to yours. It will rise to take your place. And after that kingdom has fallen, yet a third kingdom, represented by bronze, will rule the world. Following that kingdom, there will be a fourth one, as strong as iron. That kingdom will smash and crush all previous empires, just as iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes. The feet and toes you saw were a combination of iron and baked clay, showing that this kingdom will be divided. Like iron mixed with clay, it will have some of the strength of iron. But while some of its parts will be strong as iron, other parts will be as weak as clay. This mixture of iron and clay will also show that these kingdoms will try to strengthen themselves by forming alliances with each other through intermarriage. But they will not hold together just as iron and clay do not mix. During the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness and it will stand forever. That is the meaning of the rock that cut out from the mountain, though not from human hands. And it crushed to pieces the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true and its meaning is certain. 
So about you, I'm pretty visual, so I like to see this kind of stuff. And so here's an image of what he would have seen in his dream, something to this effect. And so you see the gold and bronze and all the different pieces. You see the feet of iron and clay mixed together. The head of gold was the kingdom of Babylon. The chest and arms of silver were the kingdom of the Medes and Persians, which we know that the three wise men came out of when they found Jesus. The kingdom of the ancient Greece. We understand that and know from history that Alexander the Great brought all of the world under him. And what was the, one of the greatest things of Alexander the Great that was brought was the language of Greek. And so the New Testament was written in Koine Greek. And so it allowed the gospel to be spread all over the world because of the common language that people began to speak. And next came this time called the Rome, which was Pax Romana, that there was a peace under Rome like never seen before. There were roads and highways built, and there was a common language, and people could come and go. And so that when Jesus showed up at the perfect time in history, the gospel was able to spread quickly and rapidly through all of these things. So that even in Jeremiah 29, 11, when he says, I have a purpose and a plan for you that was going to bring you freedom. The people were thinking they were going to get freedom from Babylon. But God is like, listen, I have a greater freedom than removing you from captivity of a place. I'm going to remove the captivity of your hearts. God had a plan. He was laying the stages that this little bitty group of people were removed from Judah and they were placed in this king. And they're like, why in the world are we here, God? And God's like, listen, I'm laying the way. I'm a way maker. You may not even see it, but I'm preparing the way for the greatest thing that this world has ever seen. I'm going to enter into this world through the person of Jesus Christ and lives will be changed because of these captives being obedient. You're an Apollo, but can you see on the other side? God calls us to do things that may be challenging. It may make us feel uncomfortable, but God has got it. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then... What happens? King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshipped. It says worshipped him. It's, he's symbolic of Yahweh. Think of it this way. We've talked about this before. Like if you're at Las Fuentes and you have one of those things that you swim in, or you say a cuss word or you do different things, and you see me, you see me as an image of God. And so if you're... Have an alcoholic drink and you're not quite clear that you can or cannot drink whatever that is. And you move it because of guilt. You see me as God in that moment. And listen, I'm pretty good, but my wife will tell you I'm not God. I mean, I've traded in my six pack for a keg a long time ago. Nebuchadnezzar bowed. When the gospel truth is made evident before us, our lives are transformed. Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest man that all the world knew at the time, heard the truth and worshipped. And what did he do then? He commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense. Before him. Now you remember we talked about last week that they had a temple and they worshipped other gods and one of their gods that they worshipped was Marduk. Which when I think of Marduk, I think of Marmaduke, the dog. And so here, here they have that temple and the very temple that was established to worship other gods is now worshipping Yahweh. See, we can build buildings and we can do that. We can have our own plans and our own ideas, but God conquers and he brings in and he says, listen, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
here Nebuchadnezzar bows down and worships. And all of the people, think about this, all of Babylon heard about this. And they went to the temples and all the places of worship in their town and they offered sacrifices and burned sweet incense before them and said, listen, the impossible had been done by Adonai. By Yahweh, by God himself, and not, not Baal that we've been worshiping, not Marduk, not all these Nebu and all these other ones. No, Yahweh himself was higher than all the others and brought and revealed the secret of truth. And here Nebuchadnezzar, our king, who bows down to no one, right? If you don't bow to King Nebuchadnezzar, you lose your head. And Nebuchadnezzar bows down before Daniel, a young man with wisdom and discretion. To worship Yahweh. A nation changed and altered because of the young men. Young men gathering together and saying, they say it's impossible. But we know that our God does the impossible. Then the king said to Daniel, truly, your God is the greatest of gods. The Lord over kings. A revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this secret. Then the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. And he made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon. The story reminds me of the story of Joseph. Who was sold into slavery. His brother sold him into slavery. But along the way, God had gave him a special gift. And one of the gifts that he got was that he could interpret dreams. And there was a dream that was uninterpretable. And so they... Cupbearer who had been in prison with Joseph, remember Joseph, this guy could interpret dreams. And so he brought Joseph in before the king and said, hey, this guy can maybe have the answer. And he answered him. And what happened? Joseph then became the ruler over all of Egypt. And the ones that had sold him into slavery came and bowed before him to ask for food. What seems like impossible, God is working out his plan and his agenda for his children. And it's always for his glory. And for us, there's a three-foot fence. And God's given you the everything you need to clear it. I believe the most important thing as a part of that is one prayer. But who are you praying with? Who's going to jump in the ring with you and pray with you? And then at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be in charge of all the affairs of the province of Babylon. The boys that had been exiled from the puny little nation are now running the greatest nation of the world. So in crisis, when it's time to pray, do we panic or do we pray? Life is going to give us moments. If you live long enough, life is going to give you moments where you need to jump, but you don't know what's on the other side. We can panic and run the opposite way, or we can see the fence, stop and gather our people, and say, this seems impossible, but God, the God I know, the God I worship, is the God of impossible. Maybe, just maybe, He wants us to jump. Or maybe, just maybe, he might even remove the fence. Gather together. Let's pray together. Father, you are the God of impossible. I know in this room, 
There are those of us that are in impossible situations. That life has put us in a spot where we are backed up against a wall. That there's no other option. There's nothing else that we can do. And that we realize that we're not in control. That we don't have enough strength. We don't have enough wisdom. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough education. We don't have enough of anything. We're at the end of our resources. And Father, we want to not panic. But to pray. And just acknowledge that this is impossible for me, but not for you. Father, I pray if maybe for us in this room, maybe we don't have people to gather together with. Maybe it's because we're not, we haven't been available. Or we've been ones that instead of gathering with our friends to encourage them, we've been stabbing them in the back. Because we want to raise ourselves up and feel good about our messy lives and the impossibleness of our situation. So instead of gathering together in courage, we stab and hurt and harm and maim. Father, I pray that if we don't have people, may we just examine our hearts and our lives and may you do what you need to do in us to transform us. So that we can be friends and people that are gathered together. Father, it seems like in our current world that it is impossible to be a follower of Jesus. But it's not. It may be weird. We may be looked upon at times as being weird. But Father, you are okay with our weirdness if it means we're being obedient to you. You actually honor and reward our weirdness in pursuit of you. That Father, that there are times in our life as followers of Jesus, we are swimming and walking upstream. Because our desire is to stand for Jesus when this world can't stand Jesus. But as followers of Jesus, we've seen the end of the story. The end of the story is there is a rock cut out of the mountain, not from human hands, but from yours, that will destroy all of the kingdoms and will stand forever. So, Father, may our response this morning be like King Nebuchadnezzar's. May we worship at your feet. Because we get to enter into the king's court without the fear of being harmed or being hurt. But Father, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, has opened, swung open the doors to his court. And he says, come, my children, come. I have so many treasures I want to give. Come be at my feet, enjoy, even here you sit on the throne with me and enjoy the bounty of sitting in the Father's seat. Eat at my table, sup with me. All of the King's stuff is yours as his children. Father, we love you, we praise you, 
and thank you that you're the God of the impossible. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Again, a reminder for us is that every time we open up God's word, we believe, whether we're singing it or opening up and teaching, that we encounter a living God. And as the scripture says, that this word of God is a living, active, dynamic. It brings life and death, and it brings life in good ways, and in death it does away with things that have hindered our life. And so this morning, our question for you is, what is God saying to you? What's he been saying to you this morning? And then in the midst of that, what is your response to what he's saying? What are your next steps in response to that? This morning, this area here is open for prayer. There's connection cards. You can write down what God's saying, how we as a staff and leadership team and elders can pray with you and meet with you and and help you along these next steps of what God has for you. And um, looking forward to hearing the stories of God, your response to God's activity and you taking a leap over the impossible fence, the encouragement of friends and the Spirit of God. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.